Welcome to the Center for the Performing Arts at Penn State. I'm Communications Director Laura Sullivan, and you're on stage with previews. I'd have to know, I'd have to know, my Lord, have to know, have to know, my Lord, have to see, have to see, my Lord, have to see, have to see, my Lord. If I die, what will be my reward? If I die, what will be my reward? Have to know, have to know, my Lord, have to know, have to know. Just a little of your omnipresent brain Show me there's a reason for you wanting me to die You're far too keen on where and how But you're not so hot on why Actor Ted Neely has played the title character in Jesus Christ Superstar on and off for more than 30 years. In addition to being in various stage productions, Neely starred in the 1973 film adaptation of the Andrew Lloyd Webber, Tim Rice musical. Previews editor John Mark Raffis speaks with Neely about the current production of Superstar and what it takes to keep portraying a character for such a long time. You're touring again with Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, yes. This is a this is a role that I, I'm sure everyone knows that you know like the back of your hand. You've been performing <laughs> it off and on for about 37 years now. I almost have the lyrics and the melody down, John. <laughs> almost. <laughs> working working on it, yes. So every review that I've read from performances of the last few months says the same thing, that you do an amazing job and that it's remarkable that you could just phone it in, but you don't. It's impassioned and and you're, you're still very much um, performing it with all your heart. What motivates you to do that after all these years? You know, this piece has such a magnificent life of its own, John, regardless, I think, of whom may be in the, any key role. And for me, it has definitely been a part of my life for the majority of my adult years. And every single night when I step into those sandals and put on that robe and stand stage right waiting for the orchestra to begin those first few notes the minute that first guitar lick happens that's the signature of the show it carries me somewhere i i don't have to do any kind of preparation it prepares me the minute the music starts it's a phenomena for me i've never felt that way about anything else i've ever done and it's just remarkable that, first of all, the people who come to see it will still accept me playing the role. Right. And even more so, the fact that after this many performances, and I honestly don't know how many that, that there have been, I've never really kept a count, that it's still as fresh as the first time I ever walked on the stage. When you first started playing the role, um, you were actually the understudy um, for the original productions, were you not? Yes, And then, of course, uh, many of us have seen the wonderful film adaptation uh, from 1973 when you, when you um, played the part. But you, um, at that time, were, were closer to the actual age of the character you were playing. Um, now you're about twice that age. Um, what, what kind of challenges does that present, if any? Well, if I may quote uh, John Lovitz from Saturday Night Live, 
acting. <laughs> you certainly, know, I, certainly acting. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know because I've never been one to be age conscious. Uh, I mean, I still think that I'm only 26, you see. So uh, as long as I can, can embarrass the public into <laughs> giving me the opportunity to walk on stage again. I, I don't know what it is, John. I honestly don't know because, and I, and I really think basically that if there is the essence of a character that could be in any way ageless, that this might be that role. And I, I must say, I've been extremely diligent in, in taking care of myself all my life. I've been very cognizant of, of how important health is, because after all, my instrument is my body, and I, I've taken care of myself as well as I possibly can. Uh, certainly, as a singer, you you got to be careful what you do all the time because uh, it's a very delicate instrument to, to to play every night. And I've never been a smoker, and I'm not a drinker. I've never been one to party because I've always been so dedicated to that which I have the pleasure of getting to do every night. So, in a way, I've been preparing for this longevity all my life. So, I'm thankful that I that my wife is a magnificent ballet dancer and she has a regimen that I would challenge any professional athlete to stick to and she cracks the whip so I'm sure I'm that's thankful. challenging it is yes. so um, this particular production that you've been in for the last couple of years and I believe that you're um, going to be in at least for into 2009 obviously yes. um, is a is a more stripped down version than perhaps some people have seen in the past um, there's very minimal set um, does that uh, does that actually help to tell the story? I think it even, uh, uh, shall we say, supports it. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, and, and I, I, I refrain from, and I don't mean to sound like I'm correcting you in your choice of words, but I, I certainly refrain from referring to it as a stripped-down version because this was planned uh, as um, a traveling company that could play literally anywhere. Uh, I mean, obviously, in its original concept, uh, Tom Horgan and Robin Wagner, who so brilliantly put it together for the Broadway production in the 70s, it was phantasmagorical, much larger than life. Norman Jewison, when he took on the realm for the film, he, he created the, his close to the simplicity of the desert and the people being there on the desert. Uh, only one set was built in the entire production, which was the moat used for the King Herod piece. Everything else was actually there in the desert. So in essence, we pay tribute to both of those productions in terms of we have all the technology to create visuals on stage through uh, electronics that, that are absolutely magnificent. But we absolutely embrace the simplicity of Norman Jewison's film production to give you the essence of the desert throughout the whole piece. Because after all, even though we do have modern technology, we are doing a piece about the desert 2,000 years ago. So right. the simplicity of, of lack of, of bells and whistles, if you will, certainly embraces the idea that we are in the desert, in the Negev, in Israel 2,000 years ago, so you focus now specifically on the characters and what they are doing, and I think it embellishes it even more genuinely than bells and whistles could do. The story obviously has a, a foundation in, in Western culture unparalleled, um, but I think many people would agree that, um, that Andrew Lloyd Webber and, and Tim Rice um, gave it a, a new life in a way that it had never been approached. 
Um, do, do you ever feel as though you're in part um, spreading the message, or is that really something for for others to to be uh, doing? Well, honestly, uh, it, it is not preaching from the pulpit. Uh, we are not holding communion, nor are we holding church services on stage. However, there are those all over the world who would challenge what I just said, mm-hmm. because I honestly have been told from the time the film first came out in the 70s by people all over the world who come to me and say, Mr. Neely, I uh, found my spiritual realization because of watching this film. And it's because of of Tim Rice being able to jump into the first four books of the New Testament, primarily the book of John, and to translate the dogmatic language that we hear from the pulpit, no matter what uh, form of religion we may embrace, translate that into a language that is accessible, understandable, easily accessible. And then Andrew Lloyd Webber comes along and, and puts melodies to those words. It's that are, that's very, very easy. All those melodies are so easy for people to sing along, you see. Mm-hmm. So what, it, what they did in their desire to showcase the last seven days in the life of Jesus Christ as seen through the eyes of his friends and his foes gave contemporary universal knowledge to people that maybe were maybe not having an easy way of listening when they would go to their respective religious organization and sit and listen to someone translate it. So, so what I'm coming to is I have found out in retrospect that this is, in fact, a furthering of the spiritual connection that we all have. And it's not necessarily religion. It is, to me, embracing that universal spiritual connection that, that everybody naturally has no matter what they do or do not believe. Do you have a favorite song or a favorite moment from the show? Oh, without question. I, I, I could go from A to Z in, in an order of preferences, you see. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no question that the one piece that uh, mesmerizes myself every single night is uh, Gethsemane, mm-hmm. a song called Gethsemane. It's a beautiful and, uh, song. It just has a life of its own. I am, like I said, when I start, when the show starts and I hear the first guitar lick, you know, that that makes my hair stand up constantly. But when we get to the middle of the piece and it's time to become a part of that particular moment, I'm telling you, it is just overwhelming for me every single night. Tickets are on sale now for Jesus Christ Superstar, February 3rd at Eisenhower Auditorium. Order online at www.cpa.psu.edu or by phone at 1-800-ARTS-TIX. For the Center for the Performing Arts, I'm Laura Sullivan.